laity, uh, people like you and I, because I don't think we've got any collars in here, but <laughs> it enables laity uh, and equips them to uh, preach in the Church of England. So uh, I know you're, you, you've had a few outings elsewhere, but this is the first in your home uh, church, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's always the toughest. Uh. <laughs> but let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you that in your church you give us uh, gifts so that we all take part in service as we work to build your kingdom, uh, to bring you glory, and to build each other up. And we're all empty vessels, cracked parts, uh, when we come before you. But what goes inside us uh, is of you and from you. And so we thank you for your gifts, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we pray now that uh, Steph will uh, speak to us and you, through her, will speak to us also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Anthony. This feels really weird. Like, I lead services, he does preaching. That's, that's how it goes. Not, not this way around. But thank you for leading the service and thank you for praying. And we'll see what happens. When I was a child, my mum made most of our clothes and she used paper patterns. Each one was a paper packet of pictures on the front of the clothes. Folded up inside, there were several sheets of tissue paper with lines on them. And depending how you cut around the lines, you can make different sizes. And by using different parts of the pattern, you can make different versions of the dress or whatever you were making. You could have long sleeves, short sleeves, no sleeves, with a collar, round neck, you know, whatever. So no two things are quite the same, even though it was the same paper pattern. Tonight's passage is headed Thanksgiving and Prayer. If we're honest, probably most of us struggle with prayer at some times. We know we should pray. We try to pray. And thanks, Val, for leading us in our prayers this evening. But often, we don't pray how the books tell us we should pray or how we hear others pray. All around us, we see needs and we bring them to God in prayer. But at the moment, we started a service like Christians throughout the world, interceding for situations like those affected by the Manchester bomb. But there's other things, Ben and Thomas and their cancer treatments, and war and famine and justice. The list goes on and on, and tomorrow there'll be new things to add. But how do we pray for each other when we're not aware of each other's needs? Here in these verses, we've got a pattern to help us pray. It's just one of the different prayer patterns we've got in the Bible. So, Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, a pattern. If you go through the Old and New Testaments, there are different types of prayer. David and Hannah both at times cry out to God. Mary and Zechariah exalt God. Simeon thanks God for his faithfulness. So this prayer doesn't supersede the Lord's Prayer, it's just a pattern we can use to help us in certain circumstances. Like, 
At the beginning of May, when we had our monthly prayer meeting, Andy presented us with a list of names on the electoral roll and asked us to pray for people. How do we pray for the ones we don't know? However accomplished a dressmaker you are, you always need to check the pattern from time to time to see how what we're making compares to the original. So tonight's passage gives us a pattern we can use as a guide for praying for our Christian brothers and sisters. Now, I know some of us have studied it in growth group. We're the delinquent group. We've only just done that passage this week. I know Dave's group have probably got one more to do. So we're all in different stages, but we have some of us have looked at the passage. But tonight, I want to encourage us to read this prayer of Paul's in a way, not that we make ourselves feel guilty about the times we don't pray like this, but as an example of how we might pray. Because we've not all done that study, before we turn to the passage, here's some background information to help. So it's called the letter to the Ephesians, but actually scholars suggest it's likely it's a circular letter to all the churches in the region because it doesn't actually name people like the other letters. And Paul had been in Ephesus, he knew the people in Ephesus. So it's a bit more like when bishops and archbishops send out letters they sent one recently saying that we should all vote because voting's important. Uh, so it's more like that. The letter's sent to many people, but just because they go to a lot of people, it doesn't stop the message being important for everybody who receives it. It's the same in this letter. So whether Paul was writing specifically to the church in Ephesus or every church in Asia Minor, or the church here in Broadgate, it doesn't matter. God's message is relevant to everyone who receives it. So we'll turn to the passage. You might find it helpful to have it open. It's on page 1173. And we're talking about this at lunchtime. Verse 15, the start of the passage, it starts, for this reason. So actually, before we can look at what tonight's passage says, we need to know what reason. In the section before, verses 1 to 14, Paul's thanking God for three spiritual, not material, spiritual blessings we have because we are Christians, because we're in Christ. That's a whole separate sermon. But you can summarise those three blessings as our adoption as sons, our redemption by the Son, and our being sealed for our inheritance by God's Spirit. So, back to verse 15. It could start, because you're adopted, redeemed and sealed and therefore spiritually blessed, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Or, perhaps a bit more simply, because you're Christians, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul's praying for Christians, those who know God. What does he pray for then? He's already acknowledged that they are Christians. He doesn't mention, mention any specific problem or need that they've got. So 
does he really need to pray for them? Isn't there something more important going on that he might need to spend his prayer time praying? What do you pray when there's no need shouting out at you? So we're going to look at three things Paul prays and that we might pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. So firstly, verses 15 and 16, Paul starts by thanking God for them, for their faith in God and their love for each other. Now you'll remember in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So, loving God and loving each other isn't optional for Christians. It's the greatest commandment. And the Christians Paul was writing to understood that. Paul isn't praying that they will love each other, but he's thanking God that they do love each other. It's a given. Because they're Christians, they love God and each other. So Paul thanks God for that. And we can do the same. We can thank God for every Christian we know, whether they worship here or somewhere else in this country or somewhere else in the world. We can thank God for them. So, secondly, in verse 17, after he's thanked God, Paul goes on and he prays that they'll be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, next week's Pentecost, we'll have the chance then to think more about the spirit that Paul prays that they'll be given. So we'll leave that till next week because there's so much in this passage, we can't look at everything. But instead, we'll think about why Paul prays this, his desire for them to know God better. So think for a minute. Paul's writing to people who know God, love God, and love each other. That sounds like a pretty healthy church. It might even be a healthy church transforming its community. But for Paul, it's not enough. Because though they know God, Paul prays that they'll know God better. We're in the ten days of thy kingdom come, praying that people we know, our friends, neighbours, family, work colleagues, will come to know Christ. And here, I think Paul shows us that it can't end there. Now, don't get me wrong. Praying for people to come to know Christ, it's the right thing to do. And it's really encouraging to see so many people from so many different denominations around the world doing it. And apparently next year it's going to be even bigger. But it's the beginning. It's not the end. We can't stop when people come to faith. Back in 1991, I learned to drive. After I passed my test, I was really nervous. I collected the car from the garage on Blackpool Road 
and I drove all the way home in second gear. I never got out of second gear. I couldn't work out how to do that because it was about a month since I'd been in a car. But once I'd passed my test, that was it. I could drive legally. I changed my provisional license for a full license, and as far as that goes, now I have to keep getting new ones, but it's never changed. But in reality, things have changed because I, I have got better. <laughs> I have. But that's why I let you drive. Now, my little brother, not many of you know my little brother, but my little brother passed his driving test before me. But then he went to university. And then he went to live in London, where he still lives. And he doesn't have a car. He doesn't need a car. So at the beginning, he still drove occasionally. Family chauffeur, sort of weddings and things. But as far as I can think, it must be 15, 16 years since he's driven. He's got a full license just like me. But I really wouldn't want him to drive me anywhere. So we've both got these full driving licenses, but who can drive? I'm now the better driver, and I'm better than when I got my license. And he's probably forgotten most of what he ever learnt. His license might say he's a driver, but his knowledge of driving never grew. And in reality, he's not a driver. And I'm sure if he wanted to drive, he would go and get lessons again. It can be the same for Christians. People acquire faith as a child, and they don't stop believing, but their knowledge of God doesn't grow. They've never come to know God any better than they did when they first learnt about him. So let's make sure that we pray, not only that people come to know God, but that once they do, that they continue to know him better. Some of you might have tied five knots in a piece of cord this week, and if you haven't, you might do next Sunday morning. Uh, but if we have, and we've committed to pray for people for 10 days, you need to think bigger, think further. Because the person that's represented by knot two might well come to faith. Bishop Phillips said that one of our five would come to faith. Keep praying for them, for everyone from the newest Christian to the oldest, widest, wisest Christian we know, we can pray for each of them that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they will know him better. And thirdly, as a result of coming to know God better, Paul prays some specific things for these Christians. He prays that they will know the hope to which God has called them, in verse 18. Now, if we were to go on and read chapter 2, in verse 12, Paul explains that before they were Christians, they were separate from Christ, without hope and without God in the world. So when Paul's talking about hope, it's not a rose-tinted, spectacled idea of hoping everything will turn out well. Paul means the opposite of being without hope, the opposite of being hopeless. Before they became Christians, all they had ahead was, ahead was judgment. Now they and we know God, 
And when judgment day comes, we know we are destined for heaven because Jesus died in our place. That's hope. That's the hope that Paul prays that they will know. And as well as praying that they'll know this hope, in verse 19, Paul prays that because they know God, they'll also know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, there's a worship song from Hillsongs. I don't ever remember singing it here. But it's got a chorus, a very simple chorus that goes like this. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me, lives in me. Your love that rescued the earth lives in me, lives in me. Now, it's definitely not the most exciting song ever written. And usually people just sing those two lines over and over again, not the rest of the song. I looked up a few recordings of it and it was only ever those two lines. But they're really simple words that summarise a great truth that Paul's trying to explain in verses 19 to 23. What he wants them and us to understand is that as God's Spirit helps them to know God better, they'll come to understand that God's power that lives in them through God's Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is an amazing picture. At Easter a few weeks ago, we celebrated Jesus rising from the dead. On Thursday, we marked Ascension Day, Jesus returning to heaven. But I wonder if anyone woke up this morning and thought, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. But we might not think it, we might not wake up thinking that. But actually, Paul tells us it's true. It's the life we live. And one day, that same power will raise us and raise us to glory. So, in these verses tonight, we've looked at Paul's prayer for these Christians in wherever. So, at the beginning, at the start of the letter, Paul gave thanks for them, for their faith in God and their love for God's people. He prays that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so they can know him better. And he prays that as they do come to know God better, they'll know both the hope to which they're called, eternity with God rather than hopelessness and judgment. But they'll also know just how great the power that God's placed in each one of them really is. It's the same for us. We can use this pattern as a guide to help us pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. We can give thanks for them, for their faith in God and their love for God's people. We can pray for them, that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they come to know him better. And we can pray that as they come to know God better, they'll know both the hope to which they're called, eternity with God rather than judgment, and that they'll also know just how great the power that God has placed in each one of them really is. 
So let's take this prayer of Paul's, use it as a pattern, as part of our collection of things to pray and commit to praying for each other. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it can guide us and help us day by day. And we pray that you will encourage each one of us to pray for each other, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be, and that together we will all grow in our knowledge and love of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <coughs>